love connecting people to Jesus and helping them connect all the dots in life. And I love the Christmas season. What's fun about Christmas is we all have our own family traditions that uh, we get together and we do every year. One of our traditions is we love to do the Santa photos at the mall. So every year, we it used to be just our son, but we added a new member to the family this year. I have a little baby at home. And so we took the boys to the mall and we did our Santa photo for the year. And what we realize that most parents who have more than one child realize, it's hard to get both kids smiling in the same photo, isn't it? Like we had one shot where the baby was smiling and uh, our oldest son wasn't. And then the next shot, the older son was smiling and the baby wasn't. And, and we couldn't Photoshop them together. And so we decided we're going to go with the baby this year because we got plenty of the older boy. And so I don't know what kind of face he's making right there, what he's thinking about. He does not look happy to be at the mall. But I love, I love Christmas photos. They're so much fun. I was looking at some on the internet this week and I found one that to me is the epitome of joy. Like if you want to see the Christmas spirit at its highest, uh, this family right here, there you go. That is Christmas joy. I mean, they are in the spirit. They're ready for Santa. I mean, Santa looks scared to death right there. I don't know what's going on in that photo. And then how many know there's always that family that you love to hate because they're perfect and it's always on Pinterest and Instagram and everything else. There they are, like arts and craft family, everything they do, they do well. You know, they got the perfect gingerbread house on Instagram and the perfect Christmas cookies and their whole life is perfect and you just love to hate that family because they're just so talented and so perfect and you can't stand them. There's that family and then there's the rest of us when we go to the mall with our kids. Like we, we that, that, that's like reality right there, real life. And then there's the families that have to include every single member of the family, even the ones that are not human beings into the family portrait. So there you got the family with the hawks and the falcons and the, the birds and the dogs and everything. And then the guy with the mullet, I am praying the mullet comes back in style one day. Like my head works for the mullet. Like that was my favorite style. And you know, every style comes back around, uh, you know, business up front, party in the back. I am waiting for the mullet to come back. Then you got the family with the duck, because every family has a pet duck at home, and so you always put the pet duck in the photo, never quite figure that one out. And then the reptile family, you know, those neighbors, they've got the snakes and the iguanas and every reptile known to man, and they're just, that's the reptile uh, family there. And then you've got the, the picture-perfect holiday spirit sweater family. Uh, they're not faking it. This is not from our decade. They're going for it with all of their might. And then you've got Photoshop family, you know, fun with Photoshop. Dad got a new computer and he's figuring it out. High tech graphics going on there. And then my personal favorite from Texas, you've got the redneck Santa Claus on his four wheeler who had a great hunting season this year. And uh, he, he made him his reindeer, and there you go. I don't know what this guy was thinking, but that's funny. That is, I, know, I know for some of you Californians, this is a hard photo to look at, but that's funny for those of us that grew up in Texas. And then, and then you got the photo that helps you parents understand why spelling is such an important uh, uh, tool to teach your children in life. This little girl's writing a letter. And uh, I, I, think, I think she's writing to Santa. I mean, I hope, I hope she's writing to Santa. Some of you are going to start laughing in a minute when you actually look at the photo and figure out what she's doing. But uh, this is why spelling is very important to teach your children at a young age. Some of you are just now getting it. All of us to say is, why is Christmas such a big deal? Have you ever thought about it? 
Like, why do we make so much out of this holiday out of every other holiday in the year? Like, we don't, we don't treat other, you know, we don't, we don't treat St. Patrick's Day like Christmas. We don't treat Fourth of July like Christmas. Why, why is this holiday, above all other holidays, such a big deal? I mean, you either have this incredible joy for Christmas or you've got this incredible, we got to get rid of the, the you know, we got to go back to a politically clear Christmas. I was at the gym early this morning and there's two guys in the locker room and uh, they, they were talking, having a conversation and they got ready to leave and they looked at each other and they said, happy holidays, happy holidays. And I'm thinking to myself, and I'm not getting on a soapbox here, but I'm thinking to myself, what holiday is it? Like we don't, have you ever heard anyone say happy holidays during 4th of July? Like, honestly, have you ever heard anyone say happy holidays during Thanksgiving? Why is it that something to do with Christmas, we either love it or we want to we, we destroy it, but there, there's really no in-between. Christmas is such a big deal to so many people either way. Tomorrow morning, the entire world is going to shut down and focus on a single event that happened in history over 2,000 years ago. Think about it. Freeways are going to be empty. Offices are going to be closed. The government's going to shut down. Why is Christmas such a big deal? What difference does it actually make? I mean, how can a baby born 2,000 years ago 2,000 years ago, halfway across the other side of planet Earth, how can this kid stop traffic in Southern California in 2017? Have you ever seen any other person in historical history shut down the freeways on a morning in Southern California? Like, what is it about him? I don't know anyone else that has the ability to have that level of impact on Southern California freeway system. It was because he was no ordinary baby. The entire season points to him. One of the things I love to do during Christmas, and I know this is going to sound very cliche, and it's going to sound like this is what you're supposed to do when you're a pastor, but honestly, I, I, think, I think it's where all of us should be, is I love to find Christ in Christmas, because everything about this season reminds us of who he is, the star that we put on the top of our Christmas tree. It reminds us of the star that the shepherds followed and the wise men followed to find this baby laying in a manger. It reminds us that Jesus is our true north. He is, he is the star that lights our path, that guides our life, that shows us where to go. When I see the Christmas tree, in our home, in so many homes around this community, every time I look at the tree, it reminds me the reason we celebrate around this tree because it reminds us that one day this baby would grow up and they would hang him on a tree like an ornament. And he would become the ultimate gift of Christmas, fulfilling Christmas, paying for your sins, paying for my sins so that you and I can receive the gift of eternal life. I think about the Christmas bells that we ring to, to bring in the season, to announce the coming Christ our Lord. And we love to ring the bells, and it reminds us that a Savior was given to us. I think about the lights. How many of you have this neighbor who always goes overboard every single Christmas? I love Christmas lights because Christmas lights are there to remind you and remind me every time you drive home that we are now the light of the world. We put the lights outside of our house because we're the light of the world. We want everyone around us to see the light of Christ that is inside of our life. And so it shines for all to see. We are the light of the world. I think about the candy cane that I love to eat during Christmas, especially peppermint bark. If you ever had peppermint bark, that is just from heaven itself. That is like the greatest stuff in the world where they take the candy cane and break it up, mix it in chocolate. It's just nothing better. 
But I love the candy cane because the crook of the cane reminds us of the crook of the shepherd's staff, the shepherds who are the ones the angels made the announcement to about the birth of our Savior. When you study the history of the cane, the, the red color in the cane reminds us of the blood of Jesus that forgives us of all of our sin. The white in the cane reminds us that we have been forgiven, that, that we are righteous before God. As the Bible said, we can be made white as snow the whole season. I think of the Christmas presents under the tree. They're there to remind us that the ultimate gift isn't wrapped under a tree, but the ultimate gift on Christmas was a baby, a savior, a Messiah that was given to you and I. The entire season points to Jesus. The Bible tells us God came to earth. There's no bigger news than that. Like man landing on the moon fails in comparison to God invading earth. It was such a powerful event in history that it actually split history into two. We refer to time today by the birth of Jesus. We refer to everything BC. For those of you that I don't know, means before Christ. Everything that happened before Jesus was born in history. And then we use the phrase A.D. A.D. is the Latin Anno Domini, which means the year of our Lord, the year that Christ was born. Think about this. Every time you write a check, for those of you that are young, checks are pieces of paper that you can ask your parents later. Every time you write a check, your reference point is Jesus. Think about it. 2017. 2017 from what? From Jesus. Your driver's license references Jesus. Everything references Jesus. On, on your license, it'll tell you exactly how many years from the birth of Jesus that license will expire. It'll tell you on your driver's license exactly how many years from the birth of Jesus you were born. Every time you, you put a date on an application, a date on a test in school, every time you're referencing Jesus, he split time in two. That's how significant this event is. So let me take you to my favorite Christmas verse in the Bible. It's probably the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave. Isn't that what we do on Christmas? We give to the people that we love. Well, God loved you and God loved me so much that he gave his one and only son that if you would believe and I would believe and we would trust in Jesus, we will not perish but have eternal life. Jesus came. He was given as a baby, but he was no ordinary baby. You see, that child would grow up and he would go to a cross one day. If he stayed in the crib, we wouldn't be here tonight. He went from the crib to the cross. This is why the Bible says today in the town of David, a savior, a savior. You see, he went to the cross to become a savior, to save us, to save you, to save me from the sin of our life. A savior has been born to you. His name is the Messiah, the Lord. So with all of that, so what? So what? Look, I, I know some of you are sitting here today and you're still not wanting to be here and you're thinking, well, what's the big deal? Like, what does that mean to me? So what that he was the son of God? What difference does that make in my life? Like, how does that change my, my life at work? How is that gonna change my marriage? How does that change my family situation? What difference does that make in my life? It makes a huge difference if you understand it. When you tap into this gift that was given, 
So let me be as simple as I can tonight, as straightforward as I can, and as brief as I can, because we all have things to do. Because Jesus came at Christmas, three things can become a reality in your life. The first is your past can be forgiven. The second is you'll have the, the, the strength to manage the present, the today. And the third is your future can be guaranteed. That pretty much takes care of your entire life when you think about it, past, present, future. So let's look at that tonight. Because of Christmas, my past can be forgiven. What does that mean? Well, we've all made mistakes. We all have things in our past that we regret. We all carry a little bit of shame from things we've done yesterday. The Bible puts it like this, all have sinned. Every single one of us have sinned, told a white lie or something much, much worse. All of us fall short of God's glorious ideal or standard. Yet now, because of Christmas, because a baby was given, God declares us not guilty if we trust in Jesus Christ, who in his kindness freely takes away our sin. That's good news. That you and I can be declared not guilty. All of our past, all of our shame, all of our regrets, not guilty. Because the fact is, none of us are perfect. We've all blown it. Look, to be very honest, I can't even live up to my own standards. And neither can you. We all have a standard of what we want to live our life. I fail myself all the time, let alone trying to live up to God's standard. So we all got some regrets in life. It reminds me of there was, a, there was a kid who was writing Santa Claus on Christmas because he, he wanted to make sure Santa knew how good he was this year because there was a bicycle he really, really, really wanted to get for Christmas. So he began his letter, Dear Santa, I just want to let you know that I've been really good almost all year long. And then he realized, well, that's not quite true, and Santa knows everything, and I don't want to mess this up. So he said, okay. He marked it out. He says, okay, Dear Santa, I've been good for at least nine months this year. And then he realized that wasn't quite true, and so he marked that out, and he said, okay, dear Santa, I've been good for at least six months this year. And about that time, he looks into the living room, and he sees his mom's nativity set, and there's, you know, the wise men and the shepherd and baby Jesus in the manger and some, you know, sheep and goats and donkeys and all the stuff that were there. And then he sees Mary and Joseph, the mother and father of Jesus. So he goes over to Jesus' mother, Mary, and he pulls her out of the nativity set, and he wraps her up in a towel brings her to his bedroom and hides her in the closet. And then he goes back to his letter and he marks out Santa's name and he writes, Dear Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again, make sure Santa brings that bike this year. Can I say we've all done things we regret, whether it's kidnapped the mother of Jesus or something else. But on a serious note, here's the problem with guilt. Guilt can be debilitating. Guilt can destroy your life. Guilt robs us of happiness. Guilt creates stress, anxiety, depression. Doctors are now telling us that when you live with shame and you live with guilt, it can actually create physical sickness in your body. And people will do anything to relieve guilt. They'll They'll drink it away and try to drown it out. They'll become workaholics and throw themselves into extreme hobbies. Anything to not think about their past. But the truth is, there's only one solution, and that is forgiveness. And the good news about Christmas is God wants to forgive you. And when God forgives you, there's three things you need to know about God's forgiveness. The first thing that is just incredible about God's forgiveness is it's instant. You don't have to wait for it. 
You ask God to forgive you, instantaneously you are forgiven. The second thing is it's undeserved. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. It's not about you being a good person. It's about God being a good God. It is completely undeserved. It is his grace, not your performance, that receives forgiveness in your life. And then the thing that I love most about God's forgiveness is it is complete. Meaning when he forgives you, he will never hold your past against you. I know other people in your life will hold your past against you and they'll bring it up. And I know Satan loves to bring up your past against you and he loves to to keep you living in shame. But the good news about God is the Bible says when God forgives you, he chooses, makes the decision to remember your sin no more. You bring it up to God years later, yeah, God, but, but you remember what I did. And God looks at you saying, what are you talking about? I don't remember what you did. I forgot all about that. I forgave you, I moved on, and I want you to move on. To be very honest, if that's all we got out of Christmas, right there, that's enough. I mean, think about it. If I could live my life without shame hanging over my head, live my life without the guilt of my past, right there, that would be enough for Christmas. But the good news is there's so much more. Because of Christmas, one of the second gifts is my present can be managed. Not only is my past forgiven, but God gives me the strength to live out my day-to-day, my strength to face the battles that I face at work, the issues in my marriage, the, the life challenges that are thrown my way, the purpose that God's called me to fulfill. And this is huge right now because people are so stressed out on planet Earth. Like life for most people seems completely out of control right now. It's chaotic. We have so many people, especially in a community like this, running at a pace that's just not sustainable, and everyone right now is looking for extra energy, looking for extra power to try to survive their life. Why do you think energy drinks are so popular right now? Like, I need a rock star or a monster to get through the day because I I just, I need more energy. And people are saying, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Well, the good news is, because of Christmas 2,000 years ago, when Jesus came, he came to also give you the power to manage all of your present problems. And the good news is Jesus doesn't want you to just survive your life and endure your life. He wants you to thrive. He wants you to enjoy life. That was why he came. If you really want to know his version of Christmas, John 10.10, he says, I have come. I have come that they may have life and not just life, but have it to the full. He's saying, I want you to have the most enjoyable life, the most fulfilling life that you could ever possibly imagine. That was his plan for you. And that can be so much more than a cool verse in a Bible. That can become your reality. How? How does he do that in our life? Well, he does it through his family. This happens through his family, meaning the church. When we're part of his family, when when we're faithful to his family, there's strength and power that becomes available to handle the situations of life. How many of you have ever heard someone make the statement when they were going through a very difficult season in life, a very difficult challenge, and they make the statement afterwards, if it wasn't for my family, I would have never gotten through that. So we know this to be true. This is how God works also. There are things you are going to go through in life that your flesh and blood family isn't enough to get through, that you're going to need more. You're going to need, again, that supernatural edge to get through it, and God always uses his family to bring it to you. In in every every situation, it's his family that when we're connected to it, we have the strength 
to get through. There are times in my life without that, I'm not going to make it. It's just not going to happen. And so let me, let me at risk of maybe challenging, maybe offending some people here today, let me, let me put it like this. Once a year, being in a relationship with God's family isn't enough for you. Twice a year isn't enough for you. It, it does not work that way. Let me show you what the Bible says. Paul, in one of his letters, says, you are the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. Each one of you who are followers of Christ is a part of that body. I don't think what that means is showing up twice a year, to be very honest. I don't know about you. I may be you know, a bit ambitious, but I don't think he's talking about showing up. I, I think he's talking about a little bit more of a relationship there. He says it a little bit stronger in one of his other letters. He says, in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Each member of the body belongs to all those. Let me illustrate it like this. My hand only has strength, power, ability to do what the hand was created to do if and only if it stays connected to the arm. I think everyone would agree with me that, that if my hand ever became disconnected from my arm, it's not going to do anything for me. It's not going to pick anything up. It's not going to type any emails. There's going to be no life flowing through it, no blood flowing through it, no strength going to it. The only way my hand can fully operate is if it stays connected to the arm. Well, the Bible describes the church as the body. And when we're connected to each other, we have life flowing through us. We have strength flowing through us. We have the ability the power to manage the day-to-day -day problems, the day-to-day -day issues, the situations, the challenges to accomplish our dream and our destiny. And I know the problem that many people think, well, you just talked about how chaotic and messy our life is. If I get committed to a church, isn't that gonna make my life even more busy? Honestly, the opposite is true if it's a healthy church. Because in healthy churches, it doesn't make your life more complicated. It simplifies your life. It gives you clarity. It gives you focus. It helps you understand how to run the race you've been called to run. That's why the vision of our church is not to get something from people, to get something for people. It's about empowering people to run the race that God created them to run. So the first gift is God takes care of your past. Your past is forgiven. The second is he provides a way for you to have strength for the today, for the nows of your life. But the third and the greatest gift of Christmas is my future can be guaranteed. Not only is the past forgiven and the present is managed, but my future is guaranteed. Let me take you back to John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The word eternal means forever, forever with God. That when I, when I believe in him, when I trust in him, when I give him my life, I am eternally, I am forever God's. Now, one of the universal problems we deal with in the world today is the fear of death. People all over the world are afraid of death. People fear death. They don't like talking about death. And it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor or educated or uneducated or white, black, brown or whatever. The truth is every single one of us is going to face death at least one time in your lifetime. <laughs> and I know some of you are thinking, Pastor, it's Christmas. Can you be more positive? I am positive that every single one of us are going to face death at least once in our lifetime. 
It is an inevitable fact of life. Every one of us will die. I checked the statistics this week just to make sure. The current mortality rate in the United States today is still at 100%. We're all going to die. Every one of us. It's only a matter of time. So let me say it like this. Since that is true, since it is an inevitable fact of life, every one of us are going to die, doesn't it seem a little foolish to you to go through life unprepared for something you know to be inevitable? I mean, honestly, if you know it's going to happen, why would you live your life completely unprepared for something you know is going to take place? Have you ever noticed why people are afraid to talk about death? They get nervous. Like some of you are getting nervous right now with me just talking about it. Why? Because people are afraid of death. And the reason people are afraid of death is because they don't know what's going to happen when they finally meet God. And the truth is you are going to meet God someday. Like you can run from God your entire life on earth, all you want. Like you you can just the rest of your life try to run away from God. You're gonna stand face to face to him one day. The Bible puts it like this, just as people are destined to die, once again, the current mortality rate's 100%, and after that, to face judgment. That is one appointment you're not going to miss, and you're not going to be late for. You are going to stand face-to-face before God one day. So how do you make sure what's going to happen on the other side is what you want to happen on the other side? Well, the good news is, again, because of Christmas, Jesus came to set us free from the fear of death. Well, how does he set us free from the fear of death? Well, if you know where you're going and you have a relationship with God and you know he's your friend, then you're not worried about what's going to happen. I can stand here tonight in all honesty and all sincerity and tell you from the bottom of my heart, I am not afraid of dying. Now, I'm afraid of pain. Like, I don't like the thought of dying a painful death. And so I'll be honest, I, 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 don't, I don't like pain. I, I'm afraid of pain. But I'm not afraid of the dying part. Because I know for me as a Christ follower, what's going to happen? I've already resolved in my heart. I've already, I've already made the decision to trust Jesus with my life. I've settled it. So for me, death is just a homecoming. It's a transition to a better place. This Christmas, one of the words you're going to hear used an awful lot, especially tomorrow morning, is the word gift. Gift, 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 gift. And there are a lot of people here tonight who, you know, very, very stressed out about this because you're, you're really hoping that you get the right gift tomorrow and you're really hoping that everyone that you got a gift for likes the gift that you got. But before you leave tonight, before you get into all of that, I want you to know that God has some gifts for you that he would love for you to take home and unwrap. The first is the gift of forgiveness, which again, takes care of all of our past. I don't have to live in shame. I don't have to live in regret. I can live my life declared not guilty. He's got the gift of strength. That takes care of your today, your now, what you face. And he's got the gift of eternal life. Your future can be secured. Again, the Bible puts it like this. The wages of sin is death. So again, whether it's a white lie or something much, much worse, what I earn from every sin of my life and every mistake of my life is death. It's separation from God. But the gift of God, the gift is eternal life eternally secure with God in heaven through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now let me point out a few things about these gifts. These gifts are very, very personal to God. 
They actually came in the person of Christ, his son. They're very personal. These gifts are very practical. You're not going to open a more practical gift tomorrow morning. I mean, think about it. A gift that can take care of your past, your present, and your future. Is there anything more practical than that? These gifts are priceless. They're so extremely valuable. They cost God his son. They cost Jesus his life. That's how valuable you are to God. Anytime somebody buys you a very, very expensive gift and you know it wasn't easy for them, you feel valued to that person. Well, this gift is to let you know how valuable you are to God. And then the last thing, and the thing I love most about this gift is it's permanent. I don't know about you, but I've gotten a lot of presents over Christmas that don't even make it to New Year's. Like they break down or are lost before New Year's. This is a gift that's permanent. This is a gift that'll never break, that'll never wear out, that'll never run down. It's permanent. So here's the big question of tonight. How do you receive God's Christmas gift of Jesus? If this is so important in my life, how do I receive it? Because the tragedy is there are people who celebrate Christmas year after year after year and have never received the greatest gift of Christmas, which is God's son, Jesus. And you're not going to find it under a tree. How do you receive it? Which brings me to the most important question. Well, how? If the most important gift is the gift of Jesus, how do I receive this gift? How do I make sure I don't leave it? Because here's the thing. God's not going to force this into your life. He's not, he's not going to make you take it. Like the gift is yours, but if you don't unwrap it and take it home, it does you no good at all. You have to receive it. Well, the way we receive it is by believing in Christ. We believe in Jesus. And let me talk about that for a moment because that's a little bit more than just head knowledge. To put it like this, I believe in Hitler, but that doesn't make me a Nazi. I believe in Stalin, that doesn't make me a communist. You can believe in Jesus, that doesn't make you a Christian. It, it's a little bit more than I believe in Jesus. Let, let me show it to you again in the verse we've been looking at, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Let me go deep for just a moment, but I'm going to make it very easy to understand. The New Testament portion of our Bible was written in the original Greek language. We have an English translation. John, Jesus' disciple, wrote this passage of Scripture. That's why it says John, and the chapter was 3, and the verse is 16. That's what that means down there. Now, believes in, in the Greek language, John does something that has never been done before grammatically. Because when he was writing this, it just, it wasn't strong enough. The typical Greek phrase for believe in, the, the English word I-N, would be pisteo en. Pisteo is the word believe, en would be our English word I-N. That is to believe in Jesus. Like I believe in uh, Bono, or I believe in Hitler, or I believe in Napoleon. When John was writing this, he realized that's not strong enough. That's, that's not what that means. So John took two words in the Greek that had never been put together before grammatically. And he actually created a new phrase and a new concept. John, when you study this in the Greek, he wrote pisteo ace, E-I-S, ace. Doesn't mean in, it means something much, much more. Let me illustrate it like this. The English word that we would translate this into is the word into. 
So I understand why the translators just wrote believe in Jesus because believe into Jesus would, would be a little confusing for some people, but this is a concept you have to understand. Pasteo N is I believe in this chair. I believe in the chair. Like I know it's here. I can touch it. I can feel it. I believe in this chair. I can study the chair. I can read the blueprints for how the chair was made. I can go to the factory and watch them make the chair. Like I believe, I, I even believe that if I sat down in this chair, it would hold me. That's what pisteo n means. Pisteo ace, what John is trying to communicate, believe into, is something totally different. See, now I believe into the chair. See, this is pisteo ace. Pisteo n is I believe in the chair. Now I'm pisteo ace, believing into the chair. I'm now trusting the chair with the full weight of my life. I'm taking my life and I'm placing it into the chair, believing that it'll hold the weight of my body. This is a radically different concept, isn't it? See, so many of us think that, well, it's enough to just believe in Jesus. No, that's not what John is saying. John is saying you've got to take your entire life, your essence, and place it into Jesus. Let me give you one more illustration before we close. Christmas Day, many, many years ago, a very famous story took place. There's a man by the name of George Blondin who was a very famous tightrope walker. He, he built a tightrope from Canada to the U.S. over the Niagara Falls. And on Christmas Day, he got a wheelbarrow and he filled it with sand. And he walked across the tightrope to the Canadian border. And when he got to the Canadian border, everyone that was there to watch this incredible feat, they just erupted in applause and began to cheer him. It was absolutely incredible. It was amazing. So he turns around and he takes the wheelbarrow and he walks all the way back to the U.S. border. And again, the crowd goes wild. They begin to cheer. They begin to applaud. It's an incredible feat. I mean, think about it. There's no safety harness, there's no, there's no safety gear. One wrong move, one misstep, he's dead. His life is over. So he goes back and forth and back and forth. They say that day he went back and forth 20 to 21 times. About the 21st time, he's going to the Canadian border and he gets to the end and a tourist is watching this, and this, this tourist exclaims, I believe that you could carry a man across in the wheelbarrow. So George Blondin took his wheelbarrow, dumped out all of the sand, and said, get in. <laughs> Pisteo ace. I mean, no, that's, that's, that's a very different concept, isn't it? See, I can watch it happen all day long and totally believe the guy has the ability to do it, but to trust him with my life, to get into a wheelbarrow where I have absolutely no control and he now has the power of life and death and my entire existence in his hands. I mean, that's a little bit different, isn't it? See, and the problem for many of us is we were sold fire insurance. What is fire insurance? Well, 
You know, you were at some event like this at some point in your life, and they told you about heaven and hell, and you thought to yourself, because you're not stupid, I don't like the idea of hell. That sounds pretty rough, and, you know, if that's real, I definitely don't want to go there. And then you thought, I really like the idea of heaven. That sounds really cool, and, and if it's real, I definitely want to go there. So, yeah, I'll say a prayer. Uh, I'll believe in this Jesus guy. And then you just go on with your life. You bought fire insurance. I love you enough to tell you tonight, God doesn't sell fire insurance. You may have pisteo in Jesus, but I'm asking you tonight, have you pisteo ace Jesus? Because it's not enough to believe in him, you have to believe into him. The question tonight is, have you gotten into his wheelbarrow? Have you trusted him with your entire life? Because that's radically different, and I think you know it is. And that's what John is trying to say in John 3.16. See, we've made it so easy for people. But what John is saying is pretty intense. Trust him. Trust him. Give him control. He is a savior, but here's the thing. You can't make Jesus your savior. You can only make him your Lord, and when you make him your Lord, the Bible says he becomes your Savior. And if you think about it, it makes sense. How can he save you if he's not in charge? Right? Like, how can he save you if you're not giving him control of your life? He could want to save you, but if he doesn't have control, he can't save you. That's why the Bible says we accept him as our Lord. We put him in charge. We give him control. We get into the wheelbarrow and we trust him with our entire life. We say, you're in charge. Whatever you want from me. You're the boss. And yet we have a lot of people who think they can buy fire insurance, but they're like, oh, I'm not going to get carried away over this thing. Like, I'm not going to get, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll show up once a year. I'll show up twice a year. Like, I'll give them Christmas and Easter, but, you know, because I want to go to heaven, but I'm not, I'm not going to play this, you know, it's like, I'm not going to go every week. I mean, that's way too much. And, and again, I'm not saying that showing up, you can go to church every week and, and not believe into him. But what I have heard from many people is, I can just kind of do this thing on my own. No, you can't. To trust him, you've got to trust him. to believe into him. And so here's the thing. Everyone has, has a list, don't we? We got like, okay, here's the first most important thing in my life, second, third, fourth, fifth. And I'll agree with you tonight that for most everyone here, you would say that Jesus is on your list. God's on your list. Or you wouldn't be here. Like you wouldn't come to a Christmas Eve service if God wasn't somewhere on the list, right? I love you enough to tell you if God's not number one on your list, he's not on your list. He will not be on your list. He cannot be on your list if he's not number one. And if you think about it logically, it makes sense. Can you really squeeze God into second place in your life? God, you are the second most important thing in my life. Like, I'll give you everything but this. God, you are the third most important thing in my life. Does that make any sense to you? He doesn't accept that. He's first or he's not on the list. You don't squeeze God into your life. He's not a convenience thing. And that's the gift of Christmas. And so before you leave tonight, 
I want you to have an opportunity to receive this gift, to believe into Jesus, to trust him, to get into the wheelbarrow. And so I want to invite everyone to just close your eyes for a moment. Just close your eyes for a moment. And if you're here and you take an honest look at your life, you would say, you know what, I haven't done that getting in the wheelbarrow thing. I, I, you know, I believe in Jesus. I know about him. Been to church a bunch and studied about him, read about him. But I don't think I've ever trusted him with my life. I don't think I've ever trusted him like that. Like if I, I've asked him to bail me out sometimes, like I've even prayed and asked God to bail me out when I've gotten myself in trouble, but I don't think I've ever gotten into the wheelbarrow. I don't think I've ever trusted him with my very existence. Before you leave tonight, I want you to pray. I'm not going to ask you to do anything other than pray in your heart. And I want to pray for you. And as I'm praying for you, all you have to do is in your heart just, because again, this is between your heart and God. And God will respond to your heart tonight. And it's not about saying the right words. There's no formula to this. All God wants to see inside of your heart tonight is somebody that says, listen, I'll trust you with my life and forgive me of my past. And he will absolutely do both. And, and you can just make up the words because there's no right way to say that. But I think you're smart enough to figure out how to say, God, I'm going to trust you with my life and God, I want you to forgive me of my past. And I'll, I'll, what I want to do is I want to pray for you while you're saying that. And so with every eye closed out of respect for this moment, if you're here tonight and you would like me to pray for you and you would like to trust God with your life tonight, with nobody looking around, would you very quickly just slip up your hand and then put it right back down so that I know who I'm praying for. Thank you. His hands going up. I'm, I'm seeing them. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. You can put it down. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate those hands. I'm going to pray for you. As I pray for you, all God wants to do is in your heart, he wants to see you give him your life, trust him with your life, and ask him to forgive you of your past, and he's going to. Father, in the name of Jesus, for those that raise their hand, for those that are praying right now, God, thank you for their life. Thank you that this Christmas they're receiving the greatest gift ever given. They're receiving forgiveness of their past. They're receiving strength for their today. And they're receiving a guarantee for their future. Thank you for forgiving them. Thank you for giving them strength. Thank you for the eternal life that all of them are receiving right now because of your grace and because of your love. Thank you that you gave your son 2,000 years ago to be our savior to be our Messiah, our King, our Lord. That's what Christmas is all about. Let us never forget it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let me say one more thing before we close. We've got one last Christmas carol that we're going to sing together. Before we sing that song, those of you that prayed tonight, I want to challenge you and encourage you to find a church family you can commit to. It doesn't work without one. Like you may get to heaven without a church family, but you're gonna be miserable in the process. God designed Christianity to work in community. That's the only way it works. And it doesn't have to be this church. There's five churches I can name off of the top of my head in this community that, that I would love you to be a part of. We're not the only church in town. Now we'd love you to be a part of this church and we'd love to welcome you to this church. But whether it's this church or another church, you need to be a part of a church family that you can commit to. And that means more than twice a year. 
And you're, you're gonna get something out of it that you never imagined. Just talk to anyone around our church that, that is a faithful part of it. They'll tell you. They'll tell you that there's a difference. There's a difference that it makes in your life. And Jesus set it up this way. Jesus created it where you can't do Christianity without his family. You can't. You're not gonna have a good relationship. It would be as if you told me, I like you, but I can't stand your wife. We're not gonna be very good friends that way. We're just not. Like, if you don't like being around my wife, we're not gonna spend a whole lot of time together. And there's a lot of people that treat Jesus that way. Jesus, I like you, I can't stand your wife. The Bible says the church is the bride of Christ. You're not gonna get very far in your, you may get to heaven, but your relationship with him is not gonna be that great. And you're not gonna get a whole lot out of it that way. Find a church you can commit to. It's one of the most important decisions you can make outside of trusting him with your entire life. Would you stand with me?